2: What's going on, Pacer Nation? Merry Christmas to everybody. We hope you guys are having an excellent time. And if you're not listening to this on Christmas Day, completely understand. If you catch us later, hope you had a very Merry Christmas. We thank you so much for listening to Setting the Pace. On today's episode, I'm going to be joined by Jake Elrod to discuss the Pacers roster. And we're going to rank the players 1 through 17. So it's going to be an exciting time, everybody, uh, this time of season, just to see how these guys develop that are new and see how these guys that have been on the team for a while fit into this new system so we recorded this on Tuesday before the Pacers opening game and we went through and ranked players 1 through 17 so hope you guys enjoy and hope you all have a very Merry Christmas so um, let's start off with number 17 JQ, you got
1: Yeah, pretty obvious choice here. Brian Bowen, a guy that, you know, they picked up his two-way contract. A little bit puzzling, but, um, you know, a young guy that maybe they hope can develop. I guess you just kind of put the faith in in, in the coaching staff and in Kevin Pritchard that they see something there. But probably just a guy that, you know, will bounce back and forth a little bit and be done with. But I don't expect much impact from him at all.
2: Yeah, this is the last two-way contract that Brian Bowen can get. So he might get an Exhibit Ten contract next year from some other teams, but I highly doubt we will ever see him make an NBA roster. This is a guy I have at 17 as well. Not somebody I'm very, uh, I'm not a very big fan of him. I think he's a he's, he is what he is. He's he's okay. Nothing special. I don't think he'll last very long in in the NBA at all. I don't I don't ever think he'll make an actual roster. So G League player, and then probably a European uh, player after that, but. Doesn't mean that he can't have a nice career in the Euro Leagues just not an NBA guy for me. All right, well right, let's move on to number 16. Who you got?
1: At number 16, we have – hold on one second. Oh, crap, my phone froze. <laughs> oh, man, we can't catch a break. At number 16, I have Keelan Martin, uh, the guard that we got. Obviously, a local favorite probably from Butler. Um, I think he's a guy that, you know, in in college, he was really underrated in terms of his scoring ability. Um, I I don't think he got enough attention for how well he was as a scorer, especially given he played in the Big East. Um, So there's a little bit of potential there to maybe be a scorer off the end of the bench. Uh, at some point, uh, obviously not in the near future, but, uh, it was interesting to see them pick him up a local guy and, uh, definitely rooting for him, but I I don't expect him to have much of an impact on this roster at all, barring a lot of injuries.
2: You have Keelan Martin below Jalen LeCue. Yes. Oh man, that is a take that I am not behind whatever. Um, my next guy is Jalen LeCue. This is a guy that I was not impressed with whatsoever in the, um, in the preseason, a guy that does not know how to pass. He shoots every time he touches it. Quinn Buckner even brought that up. This is a guy that's super athletic. I get it. He he is a hustler, but this is a guy that I, I do not see much potential with for this Pacers team. Um he was basically just a uh, it was a TJ Leaf salary dump to get him, and they could have easily just cut him, I guess, and earlier on and, and avoided being in luxury tax, so He's someone they might move off of for like a second round pick later in the later in the year. I don't know, but I don't see much upside with him at all on this Pacers roster. Uh, he sounds more fun than he actually is, in my opinion. But uh, I'm being kind of negative here with my bottom two, but that's just kind of where we're at with this roster. So Jalen Lee is my number sixteen. Who's your fifteen?
1: Yeah, Jalen LeCue is my 15. I guess maybe I got sucked in with the, like you said, the fun part. The athleticism kind of draws me in. And, you know, I mean, again, it's not that I expect him to develop in anything. But, you know, when when you see a guy like that acquired by the team, at least it shows that the front office is trying to make uh, steps to bring in more athleticism on the roster. So, again, a, a guy with a real outside shot of doing anything on this roster. But at least, again, it's a guy with athletic upside.
2: Yeah, and, I, and at my number 15, I've got Cassius Stanley, and people might say, whoa, what is it?" wait a second. I'm like, well, here's the thing. I, he's a 54th overall pick in the NBA draft. He's going to be playing more time in the G League. They didn't sign him to the actual roster, signed him to a two-way deal. Super athletic. I like some of the things that he did. Really nice, you know, nice cutter off the ball. Um, still needs to work on his passing ability. Still has a lot to grow as a player. I don't think he's going to even really crack the rotation. Now, there might be times with Bjorken that he is given an opportunity to play in a couple games because that is his, you know um, that is what he's known for is giving these younger guys an opportunity. So we might see him get more of a chance, but when it comes to Cassius Stanley, I mean, this is a guy I don't expect to get much run with the Pacers, you know, trying to make the playoffs this year. So that's why I have him at 15, but we're talking like potential for the next three to four years. He might move up a couple spots over some of the guys I have ahead of him now, but where he's at right now, I think 15 is a good for him.
1: Yeah, he's my 14th guy. Like you said, he's he's a long shot to really make much of a immediate impact, but the athleticism is genuine. I mean, he he had a, a higher leap than than Zion Williamson at Duke, so the athleticism is legitimate. I mean, he's probably the most most athletic guy on the roster right now. So, that's that's a fun thing at least to see them. Again, this is another guy that you see try to buck that trend of Pacers drafting slower bigger players and and they bring in a guy with stanley that you know put up respectable scoring numbers at duke was a guy that was kind of buried on that roster but you know maybe in a year or two we'll see if he can develop into a a solid bench three and d guy um you know but as of right now he's he's my number 14 guy
2: yeah so for me at 14 this is where i have keelan martin slotted in here like this is a guy that i really was impressed with after game one against the cavaliers really played well and he he did okay in the next two games nothing special nothing you know, to, to hit home about nothing that will really wow you. But when it comes to Keelan Martin, this is a guy that I, that I like a lot. And I think that he could actually crack the rotation a little bit more than some of those guys behind him. And actually maybe some of the guys ahead of him with Batadze's injury, Edmund Sumner. Like I thought it was interesting that Coach Bjorkran did not play Sumner in the final game to give these other guys an opportunity. And so I don't know where he's at, but I think he's a little bit bigger so he can play you know two through four if he needs to and I think that that could really benefit Martin as well especially if they want to play a little bit smaller so I like Keith Martin a lot actually I think he's a nice you know low-ranked talent like he's good he's a good th- third string player on your team good insurance a guy that you can really just rely on for a third string type of player not a guy that you're going to count on every night for a rotation spot but a guy that you trust to fill in those rotations similar to uh, similar to someone like Jakar Sampson.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, and, you know, with him being a young scorer that you could, like you said, maybe bring in in emergency situations and he did have a pretty good preseason early on. So I I think that he's a guy that's definitely one to look out for.
2: All right. Who do you got at 13?
1: So my number 13 guy is Edmund Sumner. Okay. Edmund Sumner. He is a guy that I'm a little bit lower on. He might've been a little bit higher had he actually got more run in the preseason. Um, I'm not sure if that was just by design or if that was just a coincidence, but the fact, I think it was the third preseason game. He didn't play at all. Yeah, that's, um,
2: what I ju- that's what I was talking about.
1: Yeah. And that that was interesting to me. So I'm not sure if, if, Uh, Nate is a little bit lower on him than maybe we had hoped for, or, you know, I know a lot of fans are really high on him and rightfully so. I mean, you know, he's shown a a lot of really good defensive ability, um, you know, a a really athletic player, you know, a guy, and he's shown some spark offensively shown a little bit of promise offensively to go along with that defense. And, you know, I think a guy that we would hope will be kind of in, in the mix for that bench rotation, especially with some of the defensive prowess he brings, um, you know, but just based off of preseason and, you know, the fact he's never really gotten true opportunities outside of a couple little stints. um, He's my number 13 guy.
2: Yeah. For me, I've got Jakar Sampson here because you know, when I think about potential, I think Jakar is, you know, that perfect third string power forward and not the more, more so the four string center on this team. So Jakar Sampson, they brought back on a, on a pretty cheap deal. I don't know if it was the full minimum or what it was exactly, but pretty cheap contract. I think they rewarded him for his play last year. I mean, there was times last year where he was the best bench player against the Miami heat in the playoffs. So it feels a little bit of a slight to, to having this low, but when I just look at him overall, like he definitely has to play off others to, you know, be productive defensively. He's a menace out there and uh, he tries so hard. He's got some of the best put back rebound dunks of anybody in the entire NBA, I would have to say. And he gets a lot of them somehow, but when it comes to cards it's like, you think of a guy, like it just, He's just uh, an end-of-the-bench kind of guy, like I said with Keelan Martin, uh, a guy that you like having on your third string, someone you can count on, but not someone you're relying on every single night to, to really win you some games. So I like Jakar, but that's where I have my number 13. Who do you have at number 12?
1: That is my number 12 guy, Jakar okay. Sampson. Like you said, he's he's an undersized forward. You know, he's not a guy that that's going to be able to defensively match up against too many fours or fives in this league. And, you know, he has a lot of his deficiencies. But like you said, he, ju- he just leaves it out on the floor every night. I mean, some of his dunks, um, you know, when he hits threes, it's exciting. And I think fans love him because of that, because he's undersized. He's not a guy that really has too many tangible, exceptional skills. But he's a guy that just leaves it on the floor. I mean, he's probably the hardest player night in and night out when he gets his opportunities I mean he just jumps off the screen when you watch him uh fly around and, and give it everything he got so he's a fun player to root for so I I have him at number 12 I think he'll he'll play a little bit of a, a role in this team down the stretch we know you know Gogo with his injuries Miles is you know generally missed some time throughout the season uh historically so I think Jakar will get some run and, and I know fans will be excited to see him when he does.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, those are some good comments there on Jakar. Now, for me, for number 12, this is where I have T.J. McConnell slotted in for the Pacers. And you might think, well, T.J. was pretty good last year, which I thought he was too. But with this new system, I don't want to see him shooting threes whatsoever. I think that he can play a little bit faster. I think that he pushed the pace last year for the Pacers when he came in. And he's a good facilitator. He tries really hard. He's a little bit undersized, but he was pretty much unplayable in the playoffs just because lack of offense and, you know, inability to stop anybody defensively. He's a, to me, he's a good leader. He's a good presence in the locker room. He's a guy that can go in there and really, you know, give it all he's got in a regular season game. But I think in the playoffs, his limitations are a little bit exposed. So I have him a little bit lower than maybe some people would expect, but overall, like McConnell's a fine, a fine basketball player, a fine professional A lot of people like him, but for me, I have him at number 12. Um, Is that a little too low for you?
1: Uh, No, I mean, because he would be number 11 for me. I mean, so him and Jakar, him and Jakar are kind of interchangeable for me. So whichever way you want to slice it, I just think TJ will probably play, have a chance to play a little more of a role than Jakar this year, just based off of, the fact that he was, he was a primary backup last year. I do think his minutes will get cut some just based off of the new style. Um, You know, I was a little concerned with some of the things I saw in preseason, but without him being alongside Domas, without him um, having dug for certain stretches, I mean, you know, those three guys are really, I think, key cogs in what the defense are in the, what the second team wants to do. Uh, So, I mean, we'll see how he translates, over to, uh, to new Nate's offense. And, you know, with more of pushing the pace and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they react with him, uh, wanting to take those kind of contested close shots. That's kind of his favorite thing is a guy's arm, like right in his face and he just hits the shot over him. He Mm -hmm. makes that better than any shot in his repertoire. Um, but I, I do think that he's going to struggle a little more to find a place uh, with this unit just because of the way that that he's talked about the analytics and you know that could change throughout the season if you know the three ball isn't going the way they want or the the bench unit isn't producing as well with that new style they could you know try to incorporate him a little more to get back to what they're comfortable doing but as of right now I think he will take a little step back but like you said a really fun scrappy player makes some really nice passes uh, can score on the inside and and just like you said a really important locker room presence to keep that morale high and keep guys in line I'm mean, BB The coach's son. I mean, that's that's a big valued asset to have on your team. So he's my number eleven guy.
2: McConnell is is a is a really fun guy to root for. There's no doubt about it. So for me, number eleven, I'm going to wrap up my my teens and my before we get into our top ten here with Edmund Sumner, and this is a guy that last year fans were clamoring for to get into the rotation and possibly start with uh, with Aaron Holiday struggling. Now they ended up going with Justin Holiday, which I think was the smarter move. But Edmund Sumner was a guy that did a really great job defending three-point shooters. He's someone that didn't get in a lot of foul trouble when doing that. He's super lanky. When he gets out in transition, like he's really fun to watch. He's really active with his hands. I think that he got what he was uh, awarded the first championship belt in practice for the most deflections during practice. So, I mean, when you see the defensive upside with Edmund Sumner and just his potential, like he's not a good three-point shooter. Like it's very streaky, very inconsistent. Not a terrific passer, but he's okay. I just think what he brings to the team is that you know length he's quick beyond quick and he can get out in the open you know open court and and really take care of business when he's uh playing that fast break game so I like Edmund Sumner a lot I'll be interested to see what his role is because like you mentioned you know I think I mentioned it too you know him not playing in that third game because they wanted to give some of the other guys more of an opportunity makes me wonder where they value him or where they see him at as a player but Overall, I think Sumner is a nice young piece that the Pacers got with the second round pick. And, you know, I I think he has some potential to get some minutes this year and and provide a little spark for this team.
1: Yeah, it would be nice to get him some run I mean just he's shown really nice promise from what we've seen in the past and it's just I don't feel like he's gotten consistent enough opportunities to really get going but I, I think he has a really nice skill set and could be a really nice developmental player for them if they give him some more consistent run as opposed to you know five games here and then he doesn't play for another 10 games and then he's back in for a couple games I think that hurts his development I don't think it allows him to get into a rhythm so if Yorkring if can get him some consistent run we may be able to see more of that that potential come to light because he has a lot of it
2: oh absolutely so speaking of potential I'll go ahead and do my number 10 to change it up here a little bit I'm gonna go with Goga Batadze this is a guy that you know once again has another setback I talked about it yesterday with Mark Schindler Rep Bauer like I'm a little bit concerned about all these setbacks the injuries the you know the inability to get him some preseason reps Last year, he didn't play a lot in the regular season, didn't have a role, was really bad at screening. I think we finally got to see him in one preseason game, but it just feels like we have not got to see Goga in a in, in a you know, um, a solidified role, any type of role at all, to get him that opportunity to really get a feel for who he is as a player. So I am excited about the potential of Goga Batadze, but I do have some concerns.
1: Yeah, he he's my number 10 also, and, and honestly, I mean, outside of the potential is probably a little high for him because every time we see him, he looks lost. Uh, like you said, he doesn't have a defined role. You know when they when he was drafted, they told us he was an NBA ready player, and obviously he's still weighing over his head. Even in the preseason uh, run he got, he still didn't really look comfortable on the floor. He didn't look like he knew what he was doing. He didn't look like he belonged. So the potential's through the roof. I mean, and that's why he's number ten on my list because you know he's a guy that has a potential to be uh, you know Miles Turner or better in terms of his talent. I mean, he he showed in Euroball the ability to shoot the three, shoot inside. Uh, you know, has the length and ability to be a good rim-protecting defender, has the ability to pass the ball. I mean, when you watch him prior to being drafted, you saw a lot of skills and talent. But if he doesn't try to find his way in terms of getting on the court, like you said, the injuries setting him back time and time again, then it's going to be really hard for him to gain his footing, especially when, you know, you have Sabonis and Miles on the roster currently, he's gonna struggle to find minutes if he's not producing. And like you said, he's kind of on a slippery slope a little bit because you're now in year two. You did I mean you didn't see him in 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 camp. You know, preseason he was he was still lost. And he's just a guy that I think it really soon has to start producing or he's going to start falling out of favor with the coaching staff because, you know, like I said, they have two really good centers already that they're going to stagger. And if he wants to make contributions this season, he needs to get back on the court and he needs to show that he belongs.
2: Yeah, and this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I don't think the Pacers would be as willing to trade Miles Turner if they did not believe in the potential of Goga Batadze. I feel like there's not a lot of opportunities for Goga if you're wanting to play T.J. Warren at the four more, and if you're wanting to get Miles and and Domas the minutes they deserve, Goga's the odd man out, and if he continues to have setbacks, then that's going to be a bit of a problem for him to get any true time to develop. But I do believe Kevin Pritchard – once Nate Bjorkman to, to find minutes for Goga, there will be times when COVID does probably impact the Pacers roster sometime throughout the season. And it very well, you know, could have an effect on if there's like an injury to Sabonis or Turner, like obviously that will put him into that, that role by force. And so, you know, when I think of Goga, like this is a guy last year, that was in the bubble, Mm -hmm. but could not even crack the rotation in the playoffs because Nate McMillan just knew that he was too raw and this is a guy that's really got to you know get a little bit stronger in every aspect of his game so let's move on number nine who you got
1: uh my number nine guy is aaron holiday Ooh, so that's
2: really low for me
1: I I have Aaron a little lower. Um I I still like him but it, it it's more of um it's more of the strength of this roster for me than an indictment on Aaron and what some of the other guys can do. I still like him as a player. I still think Uh, He has, he has a lot of potential and upside for us. I think he made strides last year. So I still think he's a really good player. I just think that, you know, with, with these guys that are ahead of him, I just think we have a really deep roster. Um, So he's a little bit lower than maybe he would be, you know, on another team or in a different situation. Um, You know, and it's, it's mainly because, you know, I, I think he's a feisty defender, but not necessarily, a, a good defender um, I, I think he's willing and I think in certain matchup he does well but we saw last year a lot of times where he was overmatched by certain guards um, you know and offensively he's shown a lot of promise I mean he he was shooting really well in the preseason I mean I don't think he was brought up enough because Sabonis just really overpowered everyone so a lot of people were talking about him but Aaron Holiday shot really well in the preseason and if he can take that next step forward he, he would be a lot higher on this list but he's still streaky as a shooter and, and his court vision as a point guard. I know a lot of people would like to see him get more run as a backup point guard, but his vision is still kind of questionable. He has a lot of tunnel vision to me. I don't see him looking to pass when he's driving or, you know, when he catches the ball, he, he takes some contest, contested shots that I'm not crazy about, but I think he took steps forward last year. I think he'll take more next year. And if we do it again next year, he'll probably be higher, but I think he's going to be a quality rotation guy and he's a guy I think that is a key part of their future.
2: Yeah. So I would definitely have Aaron higher and I'll talk more about him when he gets there for me. I have Doug McDermott at number nine and I put him here because this is a guy and me. You talked about this a little bit off air. He's more of a specialist than he is anything else. Like defensively, he's not been very good in the playoffs. He's been absolutely, you know, just terrible. Like if you look at his numbers in the playoffs, he's been super, super bad. And I like McDermott because he's probably the Pacers best three point shooter. Like there's probably no, he probably, he definitely is Pacers best three point shooter. I would say.
1: Better
2: and, than Holiday? Yeah, I would say it's more consistent. Okay. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this is the guy that Domas really just, you know, freed up so much space for. They have a great two-man game. It's it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think being number nine is a knock. I just feel like McDermott, is not a great defender. Um, he's a good offensive player, great at cutting, great, you know, great at shooting the three, you know, good at actually getting to the basket sometimes off the dribble handoffs and he's an okay passer not the greatest but he's okay. I mean McDermott he's got he's got plenty of uh plenty of things to like about him but I think McDermott is who he is. He's not going to get much better. He's not going to get any worse. This is just who he is. He's a really good role player on a team. He's a three-point specialist and an offensive threat. So that's why I have him a little bit lower cuz potential-wise like I don't see there being much potential for him. And talent-wise good player but has flaws. So That's my thoughts on Doug. Do you have Doug at number eight?
1: I absolutely do. You're reading my mind here. (laughs) You're reading my mind here. So Doug, I mean, like you said, the reason that I have him higher is I think – uh, you know the offensive upside for the immediate futures higher you know I, I'm really interested to see him in this offense even under McMillan's offense he did really well moving without the ball which was something that I think is easy to struggle with because McMillan's offense didn't really promote much movement so I think in, a, in an offense that promotes that movement I, I'm curious to see how many more open opportunities how many more cutting opportunities and and scoring opportunities you had because like you said he's, he's a lot better finisher at the rim than he gets credit for um, he's obviously a, a really a really quality three-point shooter, one of the best in the league statistically uh last season. So I, I think that he's a guy that's going to have a really defined offensive role, especially with, you know, the bench not having a ton of offensive creators or guys that, that can do a lot of shooting um outside of him. So I, I think that he's going to have a little bit higher of a role than Aaron Holiday, which is why I put him above him. But like you said, defensively he's obviously uh you know really tough to play. Uh, you know, he's, he's not a guy that's going to really provide much on that end whatsoever and hurt you when he's in there, quite frankly. But I, I, I am interested to see with what he can do under a more uh, motion oriented offense and, and playing again with Sabonis, like you said, he really thrives in that two man game with him. And so I, I'm really excited to see if he can take a little bit more of a step forward in terms of his offensive uh, production in terms of the numbers. Cause I think he's capable.
2: Yeah, I don't know how many opportunities are going to be there for him. It's just, you know, like with limited minutes probably. I mean, he led the team in minutes in game one of the preseason, so I doubt we're going to see that again. He'll probably average about 20 to 23 minutes a game, be my guess, maybe 25. I just don't know, like, how much they're going to get him involved with, other, with so many other guys that are on this roster. And another guy that really could cut into his minutes is who I have in number eight, and that's Jeremy Lamb. This is someone I have. At eight, just because I don't know what he's going to look like coming back from this entry. Like, if he comes back fine, then I'm not worried about it. But if he comes back still a little hobbled and still trying to get his feet wet, like we know that's probably going to be the case, he might not look like, you know, some form of himself until close to playoff time, which is not a bad thing. But when it comes to Jeremy Lamb, like, this is a guy that has some flaws as well, could be a little bit better on defense, could you know, be a little bit better without the, you know, moving without the basketball. I like his game. He hits some of the toughest shots out of anybody on this roster. It's it's kind of weird. Like it's almost like the tougher the shot is with the shot clock winding down. He does a better job. The percentages like go way up for him with tough shots. So I, I, I don't really get that. Excuse me. But I am, I'm excited for Jeremy Lamb to come back because I really think that he is someone that will bolster this bench and, and somebody that you really knew, that we missed in the playoffs. I mean, we talked about Domas a lot, but I think the Pacers really missed Jeremy Lamb last year.
1: Yeah, and I I have him at my next slot. And like you said, the injury – really makes it kind of a murky situation. How long is it going to take him to get back? I mean, you know, it, it's it's a long road ahead for guys that have these types of injuries. Just because they're back on the court, um, you know, doesn't mean they're, they're going to instantly come in and have the same type of effectiveness. And especially a guy that, you know, off the bench can create his own shot. It, it'll be really, really beneficial as the season goes on to get him back into form because, you know, that's one thing that, that the bench really, really missed last year was, you know, when you didn't have a guy like Warren on the floor, you didn't have a shot creator and Warren's kind of a poor man's version of that where he can create his own shot, like you said, really good at contested shots, Uh, you know, solid outside shooter and, you know, just a guy on the bench that you can kind of give the ball in ISO situations and, you know, allow him to kind of go to work at times when your offense is is not working or you need a bucket. So I think that he's a guy that is going to be an important factor in this team. It's just I think it's going to take him a little while uh, to get back into the flow of things.
2: No, it, it definitely will. And so I think we've said enough about him. For me now, for number seven, this is where I put Justin Holliday. Mm-hmm. And you might think, oh, so you have Aaron above him. I do, even though I think Justin might be more valuable to the team this season than going forward. Justin's just really good. I don't really think he's great at guarding fours. I mean, he does an okay job at it. He, I mean, he does a good enough job at it that you can ask him to do it throughout the you know, regular season. But it's not something I really want to rely upon. So, I I mean, like you said, you you said he's probably the best three-point shooter on the team where you questioned him versus McDermott. I mean, they're both really good three-point shooters. Like, that's what the Pacers need is a guy that can defend and shoot the three. So, he is super valuable, and his leadership is incredible. Took a nice contract as well, so the Pacers didn't really have to overpay for him either. So, I just think that he means so much to this team. But as far as talent goes, I think that his brother Aaron – can probably do just a few different a a few different things a little bit better and and I think that there's more potential with what Aaron can do than Justin so I'm going to give you my seven and my six here because I have them back to back and I'm just I'm just excited for both the holiday brothers because I felt like when they played with Vic Malcolm and Sabonis in this in that game against Philadelphia I know there was no Joel Embiid but they looked really good together
1: yeah i I think Aaron I think Aaron again I, I put him a little lower, but I'm still you know again, it's not because I'm low on him. I am still high on him, but Justin Holiday is my sixth guy um you know like you said, his ability to defend you know the three and four is is extremely valuable. I mean because you have T j Warren who I think was a really good surprise in terms of the effort he gave on the defensive end last year, but to got, have a guy like Justin Holiday who you know really was a plus defender. And and one of the best defenders on the team last year who can also go down and hit the three-point shot at a really consistent rate. I just think, you know, I mean, McMillan said it really well last year when he said he was the glue guy. He was in every game. He was a guy that really kept the team together, made some big shots, had some big games, and night in and night out, you knew what you were going to get to him. There was no you know, question mark as, you know, oh, are we going to get good or bad? Justin, it was he was a consistent, really solid player. Outside of Sabonis, he was probably our most consistent player uh, last year in terms of being available, putting up consistent numbers, being consistent on the defensive end, and a really important – veteran presence. So, you know, the upside's obviously not there with him being 31 years old, but I just think he's too valuable uh, to what the Pacers are going to do now. And even in three years, I mean, even when we talk about potential for the next couple of years, I mean, with his style of play, I still think he's going to be an effective player in a couple of years. So it's not like this is an Al Jefferson situation where he's, he's only here for one year to, to do his thing. And then he's out the door because he's a dinosaur. He still has some good years ahead of him. And I think that he's going to be a vital cog in what they want to do this year.
2: No, that's that's a really good way to put Justin Holiday and his importance to this team. So, let's get into our starting five now because I think they both made our top 5 for us, which to no surprise, these are the five best players on the Pacers and so at number 5 who you got, Jake?
1: I have Malcolm Brogdon at what? number 5.
2: What? Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, in terms of in terms of why I have him as last, it's because I don't really know if there's anything Malcolm does that's exceptional. I think he's a solid passer. I think he's a solid scorer. Um, he can be an above average scorer at times. Uh, well, so, above average is a little bit low for him, but I'm saying he's not an exceptional scorer. Um, I think he's a, a solid defender but again, against other guards, he can be exposed at times, smaller, quicker guards. I think he's a really rock steady player. And I think he's a guy that, you know, you're one of your leaders on your team, obviously probably the leader right now, vocal leader, at least um, of your, of your locker room and of your roster. And, you know, obviously that adds a lot of value, but just as a player in the vacuum, you know, the injury history um, you know, his his shooting numbers were a little underwhelming last year. And I know, again, they were in an offense that had him pound the air out of the ball for 20 seconds. So that did him no favors or really anyone any favors uh but i just think that as right now looking at him as a basketball player in a vacuum it's just he does everything at a good level but i don't really see like these guys ahead of him i don't see a trait that you can look at and say yeah he's exceptional at that this is a guy that 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 will push him to another level. I think he's just a really rock steady starter for us. And, and when he's in there, he's a positive force in every aspect of the game. But, you know, the injury history really scares me. And, you know, if he's forced to miss an extended amount of time again this year, it's going to be a struggle because, you know, you don't have uh, other facilitators on the team outside of him. Uh, but, I mean, the injury history makes him a little bit lower on this list for me.
2: Now, I I guess it's a fair point if you do bring up the injury history, but when I look at Malcolm, like the Pacers really needed a point guard. And I think this is someone that, you know, is just the perfect point guard for what they're running to wanting to run. And I think he does really compliment Victor Oladipo, somebody that likes to have the ball in his hands. I think Malcolm can play off the ball. Now he does a good job. I thought last year his pick and roll with Sabonis was one of the most unguardable things on the Pacers. Like, it was either a TJ TJ Warren, you know, floater, or it was a pick and roll with Sabonis and Malcolm when it came to the starting five. So, I like I like Malcolm's potential. I have Miles here at number five for me because, unfortunately, this is a guy that was likely on the move in, in the trade talks in the off season. This is a guy that, offensively, could still get a little bit better at setting screens. Not not terrible at it, but. You know, with a new system, like sure, there's excitement about his ability to to have the rain have to have the the reign to shoot these threes, but I've just defensively Turner can can protect the rim, but on ball defense is still something that he struggles with. Going up against bigger guys in the post is something that he still struggles with. I thought throughout the course of the playoffs, he did do a lot better on Bam Atabayo than originally. Um I thought he would do, especially after seeing game one, it just did not look good. But You know, Turner is a guy that, to me, is just a kind of like you said with Brogdon. It's kind of just what he is is what he is. And we can get excited about more three-point shots, but I don't think there's going to be enough attempts for him to really overachieve the 12 to 14 points a game, which to me is just kind of unfortunate for him because I don't think with Warren Oladipo, Brogdon, and Sabonis, he's going to be a guy that gets a lot of touches. Like, it'll come in spurts, and he's going to have to capitalize on those spurts. But yeah, I mean, he's easily a top three rim protector in the NBA. I think he's an absolute elite rim protector. Um, But that's the only thing that I think that he is elite at. And that's why I have him at number five. And I went ahead and had Malcolm at number four. So I guess it wasn't too off the cusp, but I just feel like Malcolm is just better than him because of his ability to pass the ball, see the floor, you know, shoot the three point ball a little bit more consistently. You know, obviously, last year, the injuries did kind of hold him back. He had that finger injury, which really affected his shot, and then not having guys that could pass him the ball like the year before when he had the 40-50-90s or 50-40-90s season with uh, the with Bucks. So, yeah, I uh, I like Miles, though, and I like Malcolm. They're both really good players, but just when we're ranking them, I would have Malcolm just slightly above Miles.
1: Yeah, and I, I put Mal- uh, Miles slightly above Malcolm just because he's an All-NBA defender. I mean, like I said, when you talk about in terms of talent. Is he,
2: though? And- an all-NBA defender, I would say is an all-NBA rim protector, but defender and rim protector to me are two different things.
1: Well, I think he's close. I, I, I mean, I, I will say that last year he was slower on his rotations in terms of his help defense. Um, you know, teams still got to the rim at will a little bit, even when he was in there. But if you look at a couple years ago, I mean, he was, he was really, really dominant in the paint, even not just as, you know, a shot blocker, but like you said, as a rim protector, you can step him out on the perimeter. I think that's a very rare trait um, to have in a center, a guy that you can put out on the perimeter. And, you know, we saw him have stops on guards last year where they put him out on the perimeter and, and assigned him to do that. And he could do it. You know, I, I think that his defense is really special Um, You know, when it's all together, I I don't know what happened last year. It seemed to take a step back. But I think when he puts it all together defensively. Yeah, I think he's at least a fringe all NBA defender. I mean, he's he's just it's rare to see a guy that not only can block shots, but I think also be able to defend the perimeter in a quality manner. And, And that's what Miles can do. Um, and then also, you know, shoot offensively is what really limits him because really the only value he brings offensively is three point shooting. Um, you know, he, he's not a, a good passer. You know, he's not a good screen setter. He's not a guy that can take guys off the dribble. He does it occasionally, but it's not, you know, a bread and butter or something he does. Consistently he should do that enough.
2: more often with slower bigs. I think he could really benefit from that.
1: Yeah, if he did it against lower bigs, but I, I don't think that it's something he does consistently enough to be considered a positive to his game. But I mean, he just uh, offensively, he's a limited player, so it lowers his ceiling. But I, I think that with his uh, with his defense being as good as it is, um, I, I think that he deserves the number four spot. And, uh, you know, hopefully, like you said, the offenses, I don't see him taking anywhere near 17 mm-hmm. or 18 points a game like I've heard. Some people say I think he's still going to hover around 13, 14 points just because there's so many different players offensively that can do a lot of different things and he can just stand there and shoot threes. So it it kind of limits the touches and what you're going to be able to do with him. But I I think, again, with him just being such a premier defender um, and especially rim protector, I think that he deserves that four spot.
2: Okay, let's get into it. Our top three. Who is number three for you?
1: I have Victor Oladipo. All right, same here. So, I mean, with with Victor, I was kind of on the fence of where to put him because, you know, when you talk about coming off of an injury, you know, the potential is still high, I guess. I mean, you know, he's 28, but coming off of this injury, the potential for him to be vastly better than what he was last year, I think it's still pretty high. I think you saw some really good things in that last preseason game to get going. And even before last year, before the stoppage, I thought the pick and roll with him and Sabonis really started to get rolling a little bit. Uh, Before the stoppage and obviously Sabonis went out, um, you know, so that that wasn't able to continue in the bubble. But, you know, I did start to see a little bit more from him at the end, especially that Boston game right at the end. He was really, really good. Um, And then this third preseason game, he started shooting lights out. Uh, Hopefully he can develop that three-point shot a little bit more. I'm not sure if it's going to happen because he's been a low 30s uh, three-point shooter his whole career. But, you know, if he can do that, then obviously he, he will take his game to another level. And it's important because he still lost a little athleticism, even if, you know, in his best case scenario, I think that you can still say that he's going to lose at least half a step um in terms of his explosiveness, but I, I think that he's a guy that, you know, is is high quality on both ends of the floor when he's at his best. Um, He seems to be in a much better place now than he was uh, when when they were in the bubble and uh, a frustrating situation, I think, with McMillan being there. And I think he had just grown tired of that situation. So hopefully with Bjorkman being here now, uh, some of the comments he's made recently are really encouraging. And it seems like he's in a good place. So uh, I'm hoping for a big bounce back season for him, because if we want to go anywhere in the playoffs, I think he's one of the most vital pieces to what we want to do.
2: Yeah, Victor's, Victor's uh, progression throughout the season is what's going to make the Pacers of, you know, is going to help them get, you know, maybe out of the first round or be, a, be an early exit in the playoffs because I think Oladipo is still the most, has the most potential to be the best player on this roster, but there are still some limitations because of the injury, because of what we have yet to see that's not been consistent enough for us to really bank on him being the former Vic that he once was. And I mean, I don't even want him to be I want him to be, but I don't don't even expect him to be 100% of who he once was in 2017, 2018. But I want to see him get back to like 85, 90% of that if he can. And I think that that's what the potential really makes you excited for. So Victor, to me, is just somebody that, you know, when you think about the injury, it was close to two years ago from this date, about 23 months, actually, as when this is released. So, I mean, he's on schedule. He's on track to really start to kind of prove that he is, you know, able to get back to who he once was. And now it's just kind of a, let's see it. And this is a contract year as well. The best thing he can do is not be selfish and, and just play the style of play. The team wants to play. And I think he seems in, he seems engaged and he seems uh, locked in this season. So I'm all for it and I'm excited to see what Victor does. So final two here, who you got at number two,
1: man, this was tough for me. This was this was tough, but I, I put TJ Warren at number two. Um, you know, I mean, it was really tough because I said it earlier, TJ Warren took big strides on the defensive end that I don't think Sabonis will ever be able to take. He just has physical limitations that, I mean, he's a really willing defender, but TJ Warren actually has skills that make him a good defender. I mean, you saw the steals per game went way up. He had his hands in a lot of passing lanes. He was a really disruptive defender last year and didn't get the credit for it. Um, you know, and offensively he's, Our best scorer. I mean, he can score from anywhere on the floor. I mean, his three point shot is underrated. He's obviously great in the mid range. Um, He's great through contact. He really can do it all in terms of scoring the basketball. So there's not really many bad things you can say about Warren, you know, his, his vision isn't necessarily great, Um, you know, and he's not as aggressive a rebounder as you would like. Um, you know, those numbers aren't, aren't where I think they should be for him, but, you know, hopefully, you know, again, with, with a new kind of more engaged system, maybe those things change and maybe Bjorkran can make that a little more of an emphasis for him. But I mean, man, he's a really, really strong player. And I don't think we've seen the best of TJ Warren yet. I think he has the potential to be a 25 point per game score here. I mean, he is that special. And, you know, with, with getting some bonus back this year to where he's not having to just completely carry a load and wear him down. I I think that you could see a lot more consistency um, of what we saw in the bubble, as opposed to him having to really just wear himself out trying to keep the team in it. But I'm really, really excited for TJ Warren this year. Yeah,
2: I agree with you. This was a tough one. I mean, I even had a had a tough time with Oladipo and Warren and Savonis. I felt all three. You could make the case for why one of them could be number one over the others. But when it comes to me, like I agree with you, I have Domas number one, TJ number two. So. TJ is definitely a better on ball defender than Domas Sabonis. So he does get the notch uh, on the or or the nod on the defensive side of things. But when it comes to Domas, he gets so many other players involved on the offensive end that that's why I put him just a a bit above TJ Warren because TJ Warren can go out and get you 24 points a night, but he's going to have two assists and three rebounds. He's not going to get other guys involved. Domas might end up, you know, having 25 points or. 18 points which is what he averaged but he's also going to have five assists and most of those assists are going to be three pointers which is another 15 points added to it so that's what i think you know and and some of the times you don't even talk about it but the screens that he sets to get these guys open for looks that to me his passing ability his screen setting and his ability to get others involved is what puts him up just a slight bit over tj warren in, in terms of you know ranking these players and their potential and i think not that T.J. Warren's not a consistent player because I think he is. The offense runs a lot through Domas. He's a good playmaker, someone that I think does a better job of getting to the foul line. Now, if T.J. Warren could figure out a way to get to the foul line and be more consistent from three-point land, like he was during the bubble, then I think that maybe you could, you could give that nod to him. But you mentioned that he's got to be better on the glass and just his inability to facilitate is something that I am very uh, not ma- upset about because I don't think that's his game, but I would like to see him Work on. I would like to see him be a better facilitator, and I think he could do that. Um, Maybe playing in the small ball, uh, in the the four row in the small ball lineup. I think that could be something that benefits him.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I think that a lot of these guys, you know, could really benefit from the system. But you know, the the system really is what helped put Domas at one for me. I know a lot of people kind of went against this, saying that he was going to struggle in the system, but watching him last year. I felt like that he was actually at his best when he was able to move, attack the rim off of bounces, uh, off of bounce passes, pick and rolls. He was the one guy that was always moving, right? I mean, if you look at the miles run per game, he was always like right at the top. He was our most moved player all year. And so for this, for this system, for him to be able to use his intelligence to navigate space as a scorer, I think his field goal percentage is going to be higher, depending on how many three-point shots. But I think his, his inside scoring is going to be more consistent Um, you know, his number, his percentages at the rim were a little bit down from what they were the year before. Um, I think those will go back up being able to more freely attack in space with, with guys in motion. And, you know, he's such a smart player. He's a guy that, like you said, you can run your offense through him. And, you know, one thing that I was thinking of when I was wondering which one of these guys I was going to put through one was which one of these guys could we more afford to lose for a 10 game stretch. And I just don't know if this team could survive a long stretch throughout the season without Domas. Because they don't really have great facilitators. I mean, and Sabonis' ability to not only pass well for a big, but set screens, I think opens guys up so much more than, like you said, people give him credit for. And I just think what he does is so valuable. And you saw in the bubble, Warren went nuts. I mean, he couldn't have done any more. And yet the team still couldn't win a game. And and when you went up against Miami, you know, a lot of our problems were exacerbated. And, you know, you just saw throughout that whole time that this team really, really missed him. And with, without us having a great facilitator, his value becomes that much more important. He's really the only quality rebounder we have on the roster right now. Uh, You know, he was one of the top three or four rebounders in the league last year, and we were still bottom half. So when people talk about defensive value, I don't think they talk about that enough in terms of what. In terms of what Sabonis brings, I mean, if he's not out there, we're getting killed on the glass, <laughs> killed on it. And, and you know, I just think that that's a defensive value in itself. But, I mean, like you said, the offense is really where he makes his money. He There's really not a weak spot in his offensive game outside of three-point shooting. Hopefully he can get that back up a little bit, um, which if you look at what he did in Oklahoma City, there is potential there for him to be a 30, uh, 30% shooter from out there. But we'll see if, if that's something he develops. But even if it's not, uh, he's just such a well-rounded offense offensive player. And I think he's really going to have uh, another step forward and he's done it every season. You know, he, he, every season, his numbers get better and better and better and better. And he, and he does it in a really stealthless way. Like he doesn't have to pound the ball constantly and handle the ball constantly, to get his numbers. He does it within the flow of the offense. And I think that Bjorken really going to love to utilize him in that way in those secondary types of ways that he can assist and create. So I think that, that that's why I put him at number one, but I think he's going to have another all-star season. I think that he's going to put up even bigger numbers under Bjorkren and, and I'm really excited to see this entire team get going. But right now I think Domas has earned the number one spot.
2: No, there's no doubt about it. I uh, it's, you make a great point talking about the rebounding because a lot of people don't look at that, but yeah, I mean, I thought Miles did an okay job rebounding in the playoffs. I think Victor does a pretty good job rebounding for a guard. But other than that, like, we don't have a lot of great rebounders. And T.J. Warren, like I said, like, there are some things to really like about him. And he really did. I mean, in the in the bubble, in the, like, the play-in games, not the play-in games, but, like, the eight, whatever games, it was, the eight seeding games, I think they called them. When he played before the plantar fascia that held him out for the last couple of games, I mean, the dagger against Philadelphia, the dagger in the face of Anthony Davis. Like you were starting to see a dude come out and he made the all bubble team. Like it was super cool to see that. And I I think that that's why the Pacers kind of were okay with moving on from Turner, just because they feel like if we can get Warren at the four, this would be really beneficial. And I think personally, like the Pacers, I I will not be surprised with Napier Bjorkman. Does not find a way to get Warren more minutes at the four and maybe with not as much minutes as Domas um, together. I think you could almost kind of stagger them in a way because I feel like, you know, Warren can kind of create his own offense without Domas on the floor and a lot of the other guys really can't. So that's why I think, you know, maybe if you want to put Domas with the second unit like we've seen uh, Bjork already do, he's got that chemistry with the Holiday Brothers and Doug McDermott they can figure it out. I mean, even if you play McConnell there till Lamb gets back, I mean, that 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 unit is really fun and that unit was really successful last season. I don't expect that to change uh, whatsoever. So I think maybe getting Warren more minutes with, with Miles at the five and, and different lineups, you know, that could be beneficial for TJ Warren as a player overall. But yeah, like you said, there's just so much freaking talent on this roster. It's really exciting to see. So um that wraps up our list and that was really lengthy so um I had planned on putting this as a second half of a podcast but I think I might just have to air this one by itself.
1: Hey man we we went into it but you know like you said there's a lot of guys to be excited about I was excited to kind of flesh out this roster and you know especially with a lot of people saying we're going to miss the playoffs this year when you when you kind of break it down the way we just did I just think it's laughable. And I think that there's going to be a lot of guys that have big seasons and a lot of guys that surprise people this year.
2: Oh, there's no doubt about it. So Jake, once again, let everybody know where they can find you out on Twitter and uh, maybe Instagram as well.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't do Instagram, but I do have Twitter. It's at okay. Jake Elrod 44. <laughs> awesome. And and Jake is a big Colts fan. So if you're a Colts fan, you're
2: probably going to see more of that on your timeline and Pacers stuff, but Jake does have a ton of knowledge on the
1: Pacers as well. So
2: It has been a while since we've talked, but I'm glad we were able to do this. It was a lot of fun.
1: Maybe next year we can do it again. Yeah, man, any time it was great to be on.
2: All right, everybody, that does it for another episode of Setting the Pace. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Hope you all have an amazing day, and we will talk to you all later. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping